Welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. My name is Trevor Bohm and I will be your host. Every week or so, I try to get myself a fascinating human on the mic for you, someone who looks at the civilized world just like you do and says no thank you. Someone who wants to break some rules, to lead, and to bring their unique vision into the world. Someone for whom the status quo simply will not do. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. Please dive in. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Trevor Boehm, your host. Today I'm sitting down with my good buddy, Matt Aporta. Now, I met Matt, God, it must have been 15 years ago in Los Angeles at a CrossFit gym. So think about how our lives have changed since then, radically, radically. And yet he and I now live about a mile from each other here in Colorado. And we sat down to talk about Matt's journey, Matt and his wife's journey, from fostering their child to full adoption. Now, this is a harrowing story. He talks a bit about just not just what they went through, but what other couples go go through, some of the challenges with the system. But what's most important here is to hear the message over and over and over that there are many paths to parenthood. And the one that society deems as the only of biological birth of your child isn't the only one. Whether you are a parent, don't want to be a parent, are interested in adoption, aren't interested in adoption, I know there's some great takeaways from this episode. So please enjoy Matt Aporta. All right, brother, we are live. Awesome. Matt Aporta, thank you for sitting in with us on the Uncivilized Podcast. Good to see you again. Good to see you. For people who don't know, you and I go way back. I think, were you at the Volksloff that like pre-Spartan race. Yeah. Yeah. Who I drove with um, from CFLA. uh, What's his name? He's basically, he'd tell people he was a spy. He was a big tech guy, wore glasses and drove a Saab, I think. Told people he was a spy. No, like I think I I, I made the one that told people he was a spy. Um, We're going to out an actual spy here the interview. Oh, I have to remember his name. But yeah, I mean, we met in the early days of CFLA when it was still Petronic yeah. Fitness in the Way old back. shed. Yeah. And so let's fast forward. What is it? 15 years, 13 years, 13 and a half, 14 years. Yeah. And so we're here to talk about fatherhood. We're here to talk about a unique angle of fatherhood. Yeah, non-traditional. Non-traditional. So if you wouldn't mind, fill people in on on a little bit of your situation. I know we're going to dive into it more deeply, but what have you gone through in the last couple of years? Well, I guess the journey started just over four years ago where my wife and I were having discussions about starting a family. And we had been doing a lot of practice, um, which was always, which was always, which was always fun. Um, (laughs) And it just wasn't happening. So we started to explore what was going on. And someone recommended, well, go check out a fertility clinic, um, see what they say. At the time, work was one of the, at the most stressful for me. Mm. Um, for Mary Beth, I think we were in this transition of moving from Venice over to the east side when we were living in LA. My back was absolute garbage. Mm. It was definitely a, uh, 
I spent more time thinking about pain management than I did anything else. What was the injury? Uh, well, ended up having um, extreme lateral lift and decompression at L4, L5. Okay. And a 14 millimeter calcified cyst removed off the nerve root. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. And so that was literally constant yeah. pain, yeah. mind-numbing pain. Yeah, for sure. And um, so cortisol levels are spiked, all kinds of shit's going on. Inside. Yeah. And I was getting epidurals done on a regular basis. Uh, like I was in constant um, maintenance yeah. mode and it was just to deal with what was going on. Yeah. And so it was no surprise that we weren't getting pregnant in my right. eyes. So we go to fertility clinic, a uh, place in Pasadena and like the whole process behind that is unsettling especially for a male where it's like oh you can do this at home but then you have to you know bring your sample in within you know within 60 minutes and or you can go into this room and there's like you're waiting in a in a waiting room and there's just you know men and women husbands wives single together wives wives husbands husbands yeah uh all sitting around looking and it's just none of it makes sense um and then when we went into after uh, you know I guess specimens were given and, and tests were done. Uh, my wife and I went in and sat down and um, it felt more like being with a used car salesman than some sort of like, hey, this is how you can potentially start a family. Right. We were moved from room to room to room and it felt like every room we went into, like a different price tag was added to how you can become a parent. Wow. And we just both kind of walked out of that like, mm, this doesn't speak to us. Right. And my wife, yoga teacher, um, went and taught yoga. I think it was probably like two days later. And a student that had been in the front row of her class for the last year plus, if yeah. not longer, um, spoke up for the first time and asked her if she would grab coffee or tea after class. And they did. So after Mary Beth's talking about herself for a while, she said, so, so what do you do? And now one of our closest friends, Taylor, uh, at the time was an attorney for DCFS and, and started for people who don't know what that means, Department of Children and Family Services. Okay. And so this was another one of those um, signs, mm. like, of course, this is who I'm sitting and talking to at this right. moment after what 48 hours after walking right the clinic. Yeah. And so Mary Beth dove deeper and told more of our story where we were and came home after hearing about LA County, uh, the foster care program, uh, adoption, what it's like going through DCFS, that there's things called an FAA, a foster adoption agency that can work um, as a liaison between you and DCFS and the state basically. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, Mary Beth didn't have to finish telling me the story before I was already signed on. I'm like, yeah, of right. course, let's check this out. Yeah. Um, so we immediately got introduced to Extraordinary Families, an FAA on the east side. Um, we went and met with the CEO, walked out of there like, this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. This is, and it was an interesting thing because I think the other part that I didn't mention was Mary Beth wanted to get pregnant, I think more for me, yeah. my father, her father, as opposed to her having this like calling to be a mom. Right. And that also, I think, played a, a role in why we were on the path that we were on. Yeah. Having both of us worked 
or volunteered our time, I should say, uh, with disadvantaged youth um, in LA for years leading up to that, hearing this not story, hearing the facts that, you know, there are over 33,000 kids in foster care in LA County, which is like the triage foster care center of the United States. That's something like 1200 kids go into the foster care program every day in the US. Wow. There's over 430,000 kids in foster care that a majority of these kids end up aging out. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's been this idea of what adoption, you know, they, things like orphanages don't really exist anymore. Yeah. Um, and if you do some research behind how adoption came into play, it goes back to when we were, uh, it goes back to, I mean, it's a horrible story, but basically people in the city that had too many kids would put their kids up for adoption to be taken by families that owned farmland. That needed workers. That needed workers. Yeah. Um, so there's the whole story behind this whole scenario. And then religion kind of played a pretty fairly large role. So orphanages had something to do with the church mm -hmm. uh, for the most part. And then all these years later, um, people were either certified to be foster parents, which was to act as a liaison between for a child in need of services that was either going to be returned to a bloodline or put up for adoption, or you were certified to adopt. Mm -hmm. Now in California, you are certified to foster and adopt at the same time. So that the idea is that you mitigate the loss that the child would experience by being placed in a foster home that isn't going to be reunified with a blood relative right. that would end up finding permanency. Um, and so, we knew none of this going right, in, right? right, right. And um, after we met with Extraordinary Families, uh, there was an orientation coming up, but Mary Beth had a yoga retreat that she was leading and was going to be out of town. So she was signed up, signed up for the following one. I said, no, I'll, I'll go to the first one by myself. Yeah. Um, and I went and, again, 100%, this, is, yeah. this made sense. And when Mary Beth came back the, next, the following month, we went on an orientation together and for the first time I saw in her eyes, her path to being a mom. Mm -hmm. And this was how we were going to start our family. So we immediately did orientation, signed up uh, over the next six months. We took classes once a week. I was traveling 60, 70% of the time. So I was flying home, wow. whether I was somewhere in the U S or I was in Europe, I was flying home to make sure I could hit all our classes so that we could yeah. graduate on time and talk about like going through like parenting 101. I, I think all parents should have to go through what we went through because you literally, there's no playbook to this. Right. And, you know, you learn things like CPR and first aid and how to identify signs of abuse or how to identify mental illness or, you know, how to cope with children of all different ages that have dealt or been surrounded by abuse or drug abuse or sexual abuse. And it's just like, yeah. it really puts a lot of things into perspective. It, it, there are things that as a traditional parent, you never really take into consideration because I think the assumption is that you're never going to have to deal with any of that stuff. Yeah. Right. Like you don't think about any harm ever having come to your child or right. loss or, things that can't even be explained in temper tantrums because mm -hmm. of prior jug abuse or right, right, right. physical abuse or 
environmental abuse. Like there's just, there's so many things that um, these kids of all ages from, you know, in utero through 18. Right. Um, And one of the things I learned in orientation and in, in going through like foster care training, I guess you could call it certification was that there's someone for everyone. Mm. Right. Like, the assumption that everybody wants like the perfect little newborn baby is not a reality. Right. Um, when we were, when I was sitting in orientation, they went around the room and they asked, so very blatantly, what are you looking for? Right. And I remember there was a middle-aged woman uh, that asked, well, are there any teenage girls that are looking to be adopted, you know, yeah. in foster care? Yes, there is. Are there any pregnant teenage girls? Wow. Um, and then, the, and then the explanation comes, well, you understand that you'd be fostering the, the girl, not the baby. Yeah. And it'd be actually, if the baby's born while the, while the girl is in foster care, that baby, the responsibility for the baby still lies on the mom, not on the foster parent. Yeah. Um, which is like, you know, you start wrapping yeah. your head yeah. around like yeah. all yeah. these different levels of things. And then it's like, well, it's like, well one of our kids um, has Downs. Um, are there many kids? In, in the foster care program that have Down syndrome, we, you know, we, we would like to bring home a sibling. Yeah. Uh, and and you, you don't think about those things because you hear, um, you just hear other stories about scenarios like that that don't work out on the positive. Right. Um, there are families that are more than uh, willing and capable of taking in someone that has a mental disorder or a physical disability because they've dealt with it in their family already. Right. And that was a very comforting thing to hear. Yeah. Um, for us, we originally, when we were going through and we were asked, we weren't looking for a newborn either. It was like, oh, like a one to three year old male, boy or girl, um, ideally healthy. Um, and it didn't matter, uh, you know, color, creed, race, religion. We just wanted to find our path because like most things in our life, um, we knew that um, whatever came next was going to be the way that it was supposed to be. Right. So you go through all the certification, these classes, you be you bond with what becomes your foster family, these other um, parents and individuals that are looking to become foster parents. So you, you learn all these things together and you try and explain it to your other friends that either don't have kids or have kids of their own. And you see this, like this look of uh, bewilderment, amazement, awe, shock, fear um, in hearing some of the stuff that we're learning through the process. And then, um, you know, you, you get certified and then, you know, through certification, you learn that, you'll get put on a list and then phone calls will start to come. And um, the families that came in and spoke to us about their process, you know, you always heard that like, Oh, it took like 10 calls before we made a decision to say yes. And in my head, I'm going, how can you say no to any of them? But certain people have certain needs. And if you're going to go through this, there's a, you can, you can wait until you find what you think is going to be the best pairing for you Mm -hmm. and the the, the thing you have to keep in mind the whole time is that there's no such thing as permanency in foster care and there's no guarantees um as a they they changed the term foster parent to um oh now i'm pulling a blank because i just wasn't uh a fan of 
of the terminal itself. But basically, you become you have to remind yourself that you're there. Your job is to offer a safe home for this child while the state works on finding, uh, trying to reunify the family um, first. First, with yeah. either the immediate parents that yeah. have to get their shit together yeah or another blood relative okay um and it always bewildered me because i felt that the best interest of like you, you have to find this like fine line that you walk like what is in the best interest of a child in the foster care program yeah like, what really is it and for us um i'll skip ahead just a little bit sure one of the things that we had to remind her oh you're you become a resource parent Resource. Resource parent. Okay. Um, you are a resource uh, of uh, goodwill and mm. safety, and but you're a, you're a home that at any given time, the child could be removed and right. reunified with a blood relative or the immediate family. Gotcha. And so I, I guess just to, to bring that full circle, um, empathy is something that you get a entirely new definition of yeah, the term I bet. because when someone's placed in your care, all you want to do is love, nurture, um, protect, protect. And the whole reason why this child is in your care is because that wasn't someone's first instinct right. for them. Right. Ability, yeah. And now you have to be a part of the process to help reunify yeah. that missing piece, mm. right? And the state will appoint um, mandatory hours of visitation, um, whether they're- With the, the blood relatives or the parents. Of whoever's yeah. involved. Yeah. Because it's not, you know, it's, it's not like, uh, whereas in some cases kids are, just left at fire departments or police stations or hospitals. But a lot of the time, um, most of the time, which is why it's so scary in these times, um, abuse or neglect is reported by teachers, coaches, um, and kids aren't in in front of teachers or coaches anymore right now. And they're actually not even seeing their neighbors as much as they once were before. So there's the numbers. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens post-COVID with right. all of these numbers and stuff. So I digress. Back to our story. We graduated. We got our certification. We got all excited and no phone calls. And so it was coming up on the holidays. It was uh, just, I think we had just graduated. Man, three years ago this time, we would have just signed our final paperwork. And... Um, Thanksgiving had just passed. Mary Beth and I were having a lot of discussions about, man, no phone calls. This is really weird. Like calling and checking, like, are we yeah, on the list? And, yeah. and like nothing, because you build yourself up to like, oh, there's all these kids in need. You're going to yeah. get phone calls left and right. Like we said, we didn't care. You know, like we gave a pretty wide age group. Like yeah. all these things we were trying to do just weren't working out in our favor. Um, and I remember the day where Mary Beth and I were like, well, I guess we'll take ourselves off the list list over the Christmas holidays just so that we can have a break mm-hmm. um, and we'll put ourselves back on because we hadn't heard anything right. from them. And she drove to Venice to go see a private client and I get a phone call. I'm like, what's up? And she's like, 
we got a call. They're going to call us back in five minutes. I just got chills. Yeah. And I was like, you're kidding me. <laughs> and so they call us back and we're on with our FAA. And he said, you, this is the, this is the baby for you. It's a newborn boy. Um, there's no listed name. And it seems like this case would be open and closed fairly quickly. Uh, parents aren't, and bio parents aren't involved. Um, he was born six days ago and he's at the hospital. And I was like, in my head, immediately I go to, well, aren't we supposed to take like at least 10 phone calls to figure out? Yeah. <laughs> they're like, and they're like, no, not unless it's exactly what you're looking for. Like, yeah. Well, we, you know, both Mary Beth and I were like, we didn't discuss anything about a newborn. We were expecting like one years old or older. And it was like, we just said, all right, let's do it. Yeah. And we literally had to make our decision within like within 10 minutes. Oh, it, with, Holy shit, with this, with this li limited information, it was like a 10 minute conversation back and forth. And most of the conversation was, you don't need to wait for 10 different phone calls to figure <laughs> yeah. out this is the one you need to say yes to. And um, like any parent to be, uh, we went down to the car. I had to open the box that still had the car seat in it because it wasn't ready. Right, right. You know, it's like right. it's it's that storyline of you know parents trying to rush to a hospital, right? And no one's prepared for anything. We weren't prepared for anything. We go to the hospital, go inside, and we're walked to a room that had a nurse and one baby uh, under a heat lamp. Wow. And um, our, our baby at the time uh, was baby boy, uh, mother's maiden, bio mom's maiden name, and that was it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was very surreal because this baby, like it, this baby was just wrapped in a blanket under a heat lamp in a plastic bin with a nurse doing paperwork. Yeah. And it had been that way pretty much for six days. The wow. nurses loved him, taking great care of him. Um, but it was just a very uh, surreal moment. Yeah. And um, right then and there, we knew that uh, Angel would be our, uh, our forever baby. However, how did you feel? How did you feel walking in and seeing that scene? Is I mean, it, it, it's it's burnt into my memory. It's like a scene in a movie. Is yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, everything got real quiet, mm -hmm. and because again, I had to keep reminding my best to keep reminding me that there's no guarantees here, right? right. Like we right. just know that right. we are a resource parent. This baby needs someone to take care of it, right? But at the same time, our selfishly there's a part where we want this to work out sure. because our end goal is to become parents parents yeah angel had some elevated uh enzyme numbers and so they actually shouldn't have called to have anyone come in mm. because he couldn't go home that night mm. and so now we're in this weird place where it's like what do we do how are we supposed to leave right. should one of us stay overnight and the yeah. nurse looked at us after we had been there for like three hours with him and said, this is the last night that you'll have any peace or quiet. Go out to your favorite <laughs> restaurant. Go out to your favorite yeah. restaurant, watch a movie, yeah. and come back tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And things will be fine. 
and it was kind of one of those like aha uh -huh, like oh yeah maybe we should do that yeah and sleep in and, yeah. and uh we did just that we went to one of our favorite restaurants and went and saw some friends showed all the pictures went home didn't really sleep of course and went back the next day and, and he was he was stabilized to come home so we took him home and then um few days later took him into uh children's for checkups and found out that a birth certificate was put in place and he was now named okay um uh and he was named after his uh who apparently was on the pursuit as his bio dad although as we would later find out through through court that he didn't know that he didn't know he didn't he didn't, wasn't taking responsibility until there was a paternity test okay. scenario. And this is where the other side of being in this system is so effed up. Children's court is a crazy thing. And as yeah. a foster parent, you have the right to be there, but you don't have the right to say anything. Say more about that for people who just... Yeah, so as like, you are an advocate for this child, you're his caretaker with no rights. So you go to court... Because, well, we don't, we don't even have to go to court. We chose to go to court so that we would hear more of what is going on in the case. Okay. There's uh, a, a state-appointed attorney for the child. Yeah. There is the state, there's the attorneys for the Department of Children and Family Services. Then there's the attorneys that represent the bio parents as well. Okay. Um, but we had gone three months, four months without hearing anything. So walk me back real quick. So you bring Angel home. Home, yeah. And now you're in crap parenting 101. Yeah, like you're with a newborn, a seven-day-old newborn. Yeah. Um, and there's no difference between me and any of my other buddies. Yeah. Um, of like, holy shit, what do I do? Yeah, yeah. learning how to put on diapers the right way yeah. and, you know, heating bottles and... Um, the interesting part that I loved was um, because we clearly Mary Beth wasn't breastfeeding. You're actually not allowed to mm. um, as a foster parent, which makes plenty sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, we could split the responsibility uh, in the middle of the night. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so he didn't need a boob. Yeah. He needed a bottle. Yeah. And so I got a bonding period that mm. I think, in some cases, a lot of men don't get. In yeah, the interesting. Um, which was unreal, but also kind of really, I, I think it was just, a, it was a very interesting dynamic because sure. there wasn't many other of my buddies that I could turn to and be like, you know, talk about how tired I was. <laughs> I could generally understand because it was only fair that yeah. I split it with Mary Beth. How did you guys do like night on, night off? Uh, I mean, yeah, it was every, like almost every other, yeah. uh, you know, and it kept our sanity. Yeah, of course. More because we were going through this other emotional roller coaster that new parents don't have to go through. Which is the court system. Which is loss. Right. Or the potential for loss. Because at any moment, this at any moment um, there could be a phone call, call away from saying we're coming to pick up the baby. Holy shit. And so that actually ended going on for nearly two years. Oh, um, were you just an anxious wreck? Like every time your phone rang? Uh, I was 
I tried to keep it together as best I could when I broke, I broke harder than expected. Yeah. Cause again, there wasn't many people outside of our foster family friends right. that could truly understand what we were going through right. and trying to wrap your head around like any of my other buddies that were dads. I, it's just something that you don't put yourself in that mental, you know, mind space or have the capacity to understand like I tried to explain it to my brother once. So it's like, imagine someone calling you up and saying in 30 minutes, we're going to come by and take one of your babies. Because at that point, there's really no difference. You, you can't not be hundred percent vested in sure. At least for us. Right. 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 We, we weren't in this, we weren't in this as um, what I think in some cases gives the foster care system a bad rap because people think that, you know, you, you, you see the, the unfortunately glorified stories of, orphan kids and adopted kids and foster kids and movies that there's like, you know, someone just forcing a bunch of kids into a house and right. making them go, making them go out and pedal for pennies and, and <laughs> sell newspapers. You know, right, like right, it, right, it's right. not that, it's not that way. Yeah. You know, there's families trying to become families sure. um, because unfortunately other family scenarios don't work. Out. Right. Yeah. And so you are fully vested. You are in love with this child. Yeah, from day one. And then living with the fear of that at any moment. Yeah, it was hard. Uh, yeah, that's insane. And I think hard's a massive understatement. Yeah, I think in the first year, there was something like 17. We didn't have anything for three or four months. And then there were point, uh, court-appointed visits with bio dad. Bio mom was out of the picture from day one. Okay. Never, Never in. Wow. Um, bio dad was doing the bare minimum, but not enough to move the needle either way. Right. And this is where my frustrations lie with the system because, and I understand why you want to give chance after chance, after chance, after chance, but at what point is it more detrimental to the health and well being of the children that right. are going through this as right. opposed to that bond between Sure. Uh, what they're trying to reunify. So it was always a, a challenge. And again, we were never invited, but we were allowed to show up uh, at court to learn what was going on, but didn't have a voice. Right. Um, and, and so when you say show up to learn, what you'd was sit, going on, you'd what sit in the room to hear what was happening during the case. So, and what is the case trying to sort out or get to? Is someone that's a blood relative stepping up and doing the best they can to get this child placed with them. And in this case, it was the bio dad. Okay. And so he would go to court. He would show up at court, but he'd show up maybe a third, sometimes a half of the time to the, to the visits. Okay. There's certain things that he had to do to check off boxes. And if he had done, yeah, maybe would have been returned to yeah. with, with him within three months. Wow. And that was just never done. Right. And the hardest part for me, being in that scenario, caring for this baby and interacting with this bio dad the way that I was, was I couldn't understand why he didn't want to do more. Yeah. And in the back of my head, it was like, someday we're going to get asked these questions. Right. And I'm going to have to have this hard, we're going to have to have this hard conversation right. and explain that we did everything we could to, to nurture that, 
bond. Right. Um, we have a relationship between, between Angel, and, Angel and his and the bio family. Bio dad. You know, like there's other family. You know, there's other family that was trying to be involved and just um, wasn't able to care for him to to meet the needs that the state required. Yeah. And so we, um, you know, we maintain a relationship the best that we can so that there is. His, his, his story to be told. Yeah. But, you know, over time things change Yeah, and, you know, it, it'd be a very, someday he'll ask and we'll have as much information as we have to give. Yeah. And we'll face that when, when we have to, yeah. but until then, um, you know, for me, that's where it goes back to that, that conversation about empathy. Like my, my heart broke for, for our son because that relationship wasn't being bonded between him and the blood yeah. connection that should have been. been. And I couldn't understand why not because yeah. I'm fighting to be this dad, this father. Yeah. And on the other side, there was like less than bare minimum was being done. Like, right. And all it did was just drag out a process over years and years. We yeah. thought that um, considering there was nothing going on for the first four months that this would move fairly quickly. And yeah. man, the system just beats you up, chews on you and spits you out over and over and over again. So how long was that? Thank you for sharing that. How long was that process from, okay, four months in, shit, we got to go to court. And then, well, and then it was a year of almost every three, every two to three weeks, there was another court appearance and you'd sit there just waiting to get a name called. Right. And sometimes you'd show up and it would get called right away. And sometimes we'd be one of us or both of us would be in children's court for eight hours. Oh, and it's one of the most beautiful and most horrific places in the world to be as well, because you're seeing some of the ugly, the most ugly parts of, a family yeah. and the most beautiful parts. And then you're seeing the most beautiful part of foster or adoption, but also then seeing the other really painful side of that. Yeah. And it was the most, uh, I don't wish it upon anyone, but I wish more people could see yeah. what really goes on yeah. in the world. Like I think a lot of people walk around with blinders on right. and just don't realize how good they have it or could have it if they put a little more effort in. Mm -hmm. Cause there's this whole other side of, um, like I said, you know, in LA County alone, there's 33,000 kids in, in, need, in need of permanency. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, a year later, we were like a year and a half into this process. It, it got pretty clear that things were, things were going to be going in what we believe was the best scenario for our son. Yeah. And even then, um, you know, so now we're at, we were at almost, we we're at the two year mark thinking that this would have been done, you know, six, seven, 10 months earlier. Yeah. There's still no permanency for us. Yeah. It's just this like limbo period. And then we go into COVID. Oh, for fuck's sake. And the initial um, notifications that went out were that there will be no adoptions in the state of California until February of 21. And we had already, um, they had already deemed us like, Christ, like man. they had already basically legally ended the 
parental responsibilities of the bio parents to angel yeah so he's still a product of the state under our care but we yeah. don't have any legal right to travel out of state wow. to, you know like to, you know, like there's just there's yeah. nothing there wow um and this is after battling for so long for when we were given a legal right to speak on behalf um when you're going through like the it's like the finalization of the foster part of the process yeah. where um, we got to speak on behalf of yeah. Angel and speak to a judge, but we're given the, 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 the hammer slapped out, right? Yeah. And that was one of the most beautiful things that we always were looking forward to was being able to have the moment that we watched so many, if you hear clicking and clacking, that's, a, <laughs> I that's our first word of a 12 and a half year old English bulldog. Um, it became very clear that we weren't going to be in children's court having. She's just rubbing up against me. Hi, Rosie. <laughs> uh, we weren't going to have that moment where we got to be in court and have the judge say right, like, right, these right. things to us. Um, but we were fighting for, it had nothing to do with that. Like that wasn't what we needed yeah. to become parents, but sure, we sure, needed sure to go through the final right, steps. Right. And it's unbelievable living in California in you know 2020 that this was a state that couldn't wrap their heads around doing Zoom adoptions. Right. Where other states are doing this and moving forward, everyone was just being put in limbo, wow. which means there's thousands and thousands of kids in foster care that are not moving forward or right. not moving backwards. Right. Um, that's really scary to yeah. think about the that right like there's no there's They're no stuck. closure yeah. it's just this, like this holding pattern yeah um, and that made it really hard for us also and then we got um notification that we were going to be able to do it via uh, a notary okay which became a whole other scenario in covid like right. going to a ups with all this paperwork and having you know, like a high school kid working, his, <laughs> right. you know, so not understanding like yeah, yeah. The, the, the breadth of the weight to the what gravity. we're doing, yeah. you know, like, yeah. like, oh, so you're just going to sign this paperwork for you guys. And right. like, oh, you have no idea. Someone making $12 an hour. Like, like, yeah. How important this moment actually is. Yeah. Um, and then uh, sent our paperwork in, paperwork was in limbo there because like so many other families that were filling out notary, you know, getting notary paperwork signed, um, we were just in another holding pattern. Right. Um, and it's like this anywhere. Try dealing with the state on anything. Yeah. It's just that like quicksand right, or, right, or right. slow sand, molasses pace. Right. And then we finally got word that the adoption was approved and signed and it was like that holy shit moment. So it's a, it was a done deal then? Yeah, it finally was a done deal. Where, where were you? Um, locked down in Los Angeles so you in, were, our, you were in our house. Yeah, we were wow. at home. How um, did you find out? A letter, an email? Phone call. No kidding. That it was finally, like the judge had finally signed off on it. And, like you're and, and in all honesty, it, we found out we had already assumed that it was done yeah. because we had gotten approval to do this like i don't know there was a la ktla i think it was 
did a, wanted a feel good story, um, during COVID. So we did, um, they did a story on our story of going through the foster to adopt process during COVID and what that was like and found out that the day that the that the piece was going to air that the judge had actually not signed off. <laughs> and so we had never shown a picture of Angel's right. face I remember or said his name on social yeah. media or anything yeah. to protect the privacy of all the families involved. Sure. And we're about to have like a five minute segment put out on the <laughs> So everything got signed off immediately and um, we were able to celebrate. We were able to celebrate. With- How was that moment? Like, did you guys just burst out crying? Did you Walk me through that. Um, like it must have been the weight of the world off your shoulders. Yeah, for me, it was the ultimate out. It was like, it was always going to go this way. I had to be in that mindset from right. the beginning. And if it didn't, then I would deal with that. Right. For my wife, it was the, like, the biggest weight was finally lifted mm-hmm. off of her because she walked in fear of every day. Right. One, and, and we flip-flopped with that role, I guess. Like, yeah. the, like I said, like, I had to be what I felt like a rock because right. for a majority of it, we you know, pre COVID and I was still traveling a ton. And there was times when I would leave to go on a work trip saying goodbye, mm. not knowing if I was going to come home and he would actually still be there. Wow. Fucking hell, man. Yeah. And, and there were times. So I had to be for myself as right. like stoic or yep, strong. Yep. Yeah. And then, I would lose it and break down and my wife would put me back together or yeah. friends would put me back together. Yeah. Um, for her, she was just up and down all the time. Yeah. Hey folks, hope you are loving this episode with Matt. I want to talk to the men right now. You guys, my membership group, the uncivilized nation now has live meetings all over the damn world. Guys have started their own affiliate groups and are taking this thing and running with it. So I'm telling you, you want to get in on it now. We are at about 125 members strong and are kicking off a year-long program that starts January 1st. We are going to be challenging our confidence, challenging our fitness, challenging our business lives, our sex lives, looking at every way we can uncivilize ourselves as men. And I'm telling you guys, this program is about 30 bucks a month starting January 1st. If you want to get in at 25, join us before then. But if you are a man and you are tired of living in the way you are, or you know there is something more out there, go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the nation and get your ass in this group. All right, back to Matt. How did you guys as a couple survive this? You either do or you don't. Okay. Like that that was the true ultimate test. Yeah. Um, We knew going through this that the, like, I, I guess we're actually in this for the rest of our lives. Right? <laughs> and not because of Angel, but because right. of what we learned about each other. Right. Um, and I've never seen a stronger person than my wife yeah. go through. From going f- f- from not knowing how she could be a mom right. to knowing that this was the only way that she felt like she finally felt like mm. this was her path to motherhood for her we laugh about it like that she was basically pregnant for you know yeah. over two years yeah um makes sense right like you yeah. know like she went through like a two-year pregnancy basically yeah. and then finally was able to be like oh i can breathe I can again. breathe again yeah um 
for me, it was, um, yeah, of course, this is how it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, it was cool. But, but I, not at all. Uh, <laughs> but it was, um, I had to mentally wrap my head around sure. this was the only outcome that there was going to be. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I mean, it was the, for us, um, it was, we can get through anything. Um, you know, our story as for most of our friends and family that thought it was the most difficult thing in the world, I guess, but when you're in this world, like you see the other sides to it. And we have foster family friends that have taken in three siblings, had them in their home for three years. Those kids were reunified. It was devastating to them. They fought the system as much as they could because they knew it wasn't the right thing to be done for the best interest for those kids. They ended up getting placed with other kids going through the process. And in that interim, finding out that those three kids that they cared for for three years were removed again from the bio family. I mean, the system is broken. And to like, I can't even begin to imagine what really went on in, 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 in our friends' hearts and heads that yeah. had to go through that scenario. Right. I couldn't imagine. I didn't, I never, I never put myself there because I didn't want to put myself in a place to know what it would have been like if Angel was removed. Right. Because the few times that I, I went there, yeah. it took a really long time to get me out of it. It's a dark hole. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And especially because, um, you know, I, I think one of the important things to understand is that this isn't a traditional way to becoming a parent. And, you know, as a male, I'm 44 years old. Um, the thing that I learned is I didn't have to pass, quote unquote, my seed on. Right. Right. Like, yeah. Say more about that. Like, I've had a lot of conversations with other men around, like, I've heard stories of, of some, uh, of some people like not knowing how they could love another, you know, like when they have multiple kids in a family, like, how can you, like, is it your firstborn, your favorite? Yeah. Like, yeah. What happens when the second one comes or yeah. third and all yeah. these different scenarios. And for me, it was, you know, like in, in other topics of conversation have been like, well, how did you end up loving? How did you fall in love with this child? That's yeah. not yours. I'm like, well, it is yeah. mine. That was always, you know, like language became really important in, in how we talked about this because um, you'd hear things like, well, don't you want a child of your own? I have a child of my own. Yeah. No, you know what I mean. No, I don't. Yeah. Like, in, like think about what you're saying and right. then think about the position the other person's in. Right. This is how I became a father. Right. And my son may, you know, people may say off the bat that he doesn't necessarily look like me and he may <laughs> be as tall as me, but I can tell you what, he walks in a room the same way I do. Yeah. You know, yeah. we have so many things in common and there's something to be said for nurture versus nature. Yeah. Uh, nature is not the only way. Yeah. Like if, anyone is questioning, especially men, how they can become a father if the traditional route isn't in front of them. Um, you just have to open your heart to it. Yeah. Like, that's my dude. Like, yeah. He's he, your guy. That is my guy. Yeah. Um, we've had special handshakes since day one. Oh, I love he, it. We laugh the same. Like, there's just, there is no conversation anymore, uh, like, uh, around, like, I'm his father. He's my son. Right. 
period. It's not a period. End of conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I still correct people and they find out our story um, when they, when, when that whole, well, don't you want a child of your own? I was like, yeah. I can't imagine it having gone any other way. Mm. And if we end up getting pregnant uh, and having another child, like it's, it's a, like, I, I, I'm not even, I, I don't even try to wrap my head around like what that would be like. Because right, right, right. I've only known one way. Yeah. yeah. And that's this way. And it's again, like the, the nurture versus nature uh, conversation, I think is really important and, and more men should dive into it because um, it's very easy uh, to um, get someone pregnant and take absolutely no responsibility. Oh yeah. That's pretty rampant. Right. Yeah. Um, there's a, another role that you can play. Yeah. And I grew up in a house where um, you know, my parents split up when I was three, three and a half. Uh, my mom remarried. Someone raised me for 18 years. Yeah. Uh, I have always maintained an unbelievable relationship with my bio dad. Yeah. That's my name. That's yeah. where I come from. Yeah. And then I had another man that stepped in and, and played another role and raised me as I was his. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I have a, a newfound respect and understanding of, of that role as well. Right. I bet. Um, but, you know, in the foster in the foster community, um, it's an unbelievable gift that you're given and that you get to give. Yeah. Uh, because you are literally altering for the better, for the most part. Yeah. Um, ideally, hopefully, yeah. um, a path that was set in one way, right? And now given an alternative route. Yeah. So, what do you wish people knew? Because it sounds like there's just a lack of maybe knowledge isn't the right term, but a lack of consciousness around the, not just the process, but the whole experience. So that that question doesn't come up of like, Hey, do you want kids of your own? Well, I, th I think um, that question will always be asked. Yeah. And it's not, and I know that in the beginning, uh, my wife used to, you can't correct people. So if you don't correct them, they're never going to know. Yeah. Right. Like, it's, it's one of those things where yeah. um, it, it's not their fault. I'm not doing it to call someone out for right. it. I'm just bringing more awareness to yeah. the fact that think about what you're saying yeah. in that scenario. And yeah. So what do, you, what do you wish people, like if you could get a message out to everybody about being a foster, not even being a foster dad, but about people who have gone through this process, what would you want them to know that you know because you went through it? Uh, it's not easy. Yeah, but I, I don't so. know how I can comfortably recommend anyone that I care about going through what we went through. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, I can't ever imagine having not gone through yeah. what we went through. Yeah. And I wouldn't have traded any of it for, yeah. I would not have given up any of the hard pain, right? Dark that came with all of this joy and light in the yeah. end. Like, it's just, uh, you're changed forever when you become a parent, regardless of however you become a parent. Yeah. The point is, is that if you want to be a parent, you can. Yeah. And there's a lot of kids out there um, that deserve to have people yeah. love and take care of them um, the right way. Yeah. What do you love about being a dad? Everything. Yeah. Uh, 
mean, uh, well, there's like there's so many cliches that come with that sure. question, right? Like, Go for it. all of a sudden, you, like you think back to all the things that you did to your dad, yeah. Or, or mom, like basically it's just being a dad is being a parent. So sure. whether you were raised by your mom or your dad or both or two dads or two moms, there's all these things that you, I remember hearing, like, I can't wait till you're older and you have one of your own. And now like all these years later and my mom's visiting, she's just laughing. Yeah. I'm like, what are you laughing at? She's yeah. like, it's payback. <laughs> you know, it's like she truly, she, like, I, I enjoy seeing the joy in her eyes, seeing how miserable we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she did her time. Yeah, she did her time, and yeah. now I'm paying my dues. Every part of it's amazing. Being able to teach the things I was taught. Yeah. Being able to see, and this is the part where uh, it's so important, especially for men to understand, like it's, it's unbelievable that I get to see so much of me in my son. Mm. And that's the stuff of who he is on the inside. Right. Right. Like, he'll never be six, four. Right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but he walks into a room with his chest up. Like he's six foot four every yeah. single time. And that's like one of the things I can't, I can't get out of my head. Like it's just, it's right. unbelievable. Right. I love that he has this confidence and, um, how kind and gentle he is and how important it is for us to have our time yeah. and how protective he is of mommy. Oh, and if wow. we do argue yeah. how he wants to be, you know, he just wants everyone to, to stop arguing. Yeah, and, you know, and that's just part of being in a family. Right, 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 right. You know, that's just how it goes. Yeah. Two, two more questions for you. For people who are considering this, what do you wish you knew that you know now? And then for people who are in the middle of the shit, what advice do you have for them? Yeah. So going into it, do your homework. And that is, um, if you feel you have the capacity to work directly with your local department of children, and family services, go for it. But find, but I would always recommend looking into a foster adoption agency that can work on your behalf as well because it just makes it easier and it gives you so a like has a roadmap written out for you there's someone there's someone to hold your hand through the process and someone that understands why you're yelling or screaming or crying or laughing or lost or found and i can't say enough for extraordinary families in los angeles um they I don't know how we would have gotten through it without them. Amazing. And for those that are in it, it's reminding yourself, regardless of your end goal, that the purpose that you are playing is to create a safe and loving environment for the ch child or children that you are fostering. And that was the mantra in my head pretty much through all of it. When I was most afraid that Angel would be removed yeah. or reunified <laughs> yeah. was that imagine if we weren't, if we did not love with every ounce that we had, wow. what he would have missed out on during this time. Yeah, You know, like the developmental part of a child, um, 
like if there's been like studies done like if children aren't touched right what it does to them right if they're not loved, right if they're not loved yeah if they're not shown empathy yeah or if they're not if they're not held if yeah. they don't have skin on skin if those things don't happen and they don't right. far too often what it does to them for the rest of their lives it's detrimental so i can't imagine if the mm. environment he was in from the time he was taken home from a hospital until now if he didn't have what we were able to give him, yeah, uh, what that would have done to him, and that's why I remember that it, we couldn't be selfish and think of what was happening to us, right? Even though it was sure, what was most important is what was going to happen to him, yeah. And so, because we just got lucky that he wasn't that you know, like the first time we went into this, it worked out for us, right. We have far too many friends that it didn't work out the first, second, and third placements that they had. Yeah. But if you want to be a parent, it will eventually work out. Yeah. You just have to kind of, you know, you have to see, you know, the old saying, iron sharp, sharp as iron. Yeah. You have to put yourself through it to get to where you want. And when you're there, it'll be, you will have gone through something that your other friends that have traditional families yeah. never experienced. Like there's this, there's like this, Selfishly, I think there's like this different, there's a different connection. It's no better, it's no worse, but it's a different connection that my wife and I have with our son than bio parents have within their family. You just don't walk around with this fear of potential loss or the challenges that come with, you know, someday when they're in their teens, they're going to, you know, potentially ask, hey, I want to know more about. Yeah. Uh, where did I come from? Like, what was, why didn't they want, you know, like there's so many scenarios for sure that we'll tackle when we have to, but we'll have the answers that we have also. Yeah. And we comfortably can stand behind um, what we did and the roles that we played yeah. from then until now. Awesome, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this and really, really appreciate you opening up. And what a lucky little kid. I know you're going to say you guys are the lucky ones. Yeah, I, I know, mean, I know. I, know. That, I mean, that's, that truly is how it is. I'll, you know, I'll take, I expect him to say how lucky he is. At some point <laughs> when he's we don't have that, that moment where I was like, ah, it was all worth it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he is a very lucky kid. But the reality is, is that we're the lucky ones. And our families and our friends that get to be around him because he is a special, special little boy. Matt, is there any resources or a place where you guys have information that people who are curious about this or just want more of your story where they can go? Yeah, my wife's website, uh, marybethlarue.com, on the blog portion. If you go back over the last three years, she's done a ton of writing on our our journey. Awesome. Um, We've done a, there's this podcast, there's a couple other podcasts that my wife has done and a couple panels that we've been on. So, um, you know, feel free to reach out through her website or contact me on uh, Instagram. Um, I'm not as active on there as I, from a posting standpoint as I am from a liking standpoint, <laughs> but I do repurpose a lot of things that my wife puts there. Sure. And uh, you can find me at Matt underscore Aporta. That's A-P-O-R-T-A. Awesome. Thank you, brother. This is Trevor Bohm signing off on another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please give us a share, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, and if you're interested in getting a hold of my book, 
Man Uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading.